Welcome to Grid Connections. I'm your host, Chase Drum. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how our electrical grid is becoming the intersection between the next generation of electric transportation, new digital technologies, and grid infrastructure. Join me in exploring these topics with experts and leaders across the grid. In this episode, we discuss current electric vehicle charging technologies with Wade Higgins and Matt Teske. Wade Higgins is the Director of Customer Success at FreeWire Technologies. FreeWire's unique charging technology brings both high-speed charging and battery backup technology into one easy solution. Matt Teske is founder and CEO of ChargeWay. They're helping dealerships and EV drivers learn about new EV technologies and how to find the right charging infrastructure for their car. In today's episode, we'll go through misperceptions about charging networks, how to create awareness of EV charging infrastructure, the role of utilities, and most importantly, where the industry is headed. I'm with Wade Higgins and Matt Teske. I'll let them introduce themselves. Alrighty. Thanks for having me, Chase. Uh, My name is Wade Higgins. I'm currently the uh, Customer Success Director for FreeWire Technologies, a company that builds battery-backed EV chargers. Spent most of my career in the automotive industry, did a stint at Tesla, co-founded a company doing software in the EV charging space as well, Um, and I'm currently a fellow at the uh, Clean Energy Leadership Institute. And I'm Matt Teske. I'm the CEO and founder of Chargeway. And my background, similar to Wade, I've been in the automotive sector for a long time, but predominantly have worked on new campaigns and marketing and messaging and communications for automakers and auto dealers and new vehicle launch programs uh, with uh, brands such as General Motors and Toyota over the years. I've done some work uh, with Tesla a little bit over the years as well. Uh, And now with Chargeway, we're looking to, again, keep things simple for how we engage with the public for where we're going with new fuel type. So thanks for having me. Definitely my pleasure. And like I said, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversations I've had with you guys in the past on the topics. Uh, so with that, I, I've got this outline here of a few different things to go over. And I, I think given both of your backgrounds, especially where you're working, uh, Wade at FreeWire and of course, Matt, what, you've done, what you're doing at Chargeway, this unto itself could easily be a topic for a couple of hours, but uh, I would love to discuss with you some of the like immediate misconceptions that you've experienced about charging infrastructure. I know even driving an electric vehicle and just talking to people who are curious but don't know much, they've had their own. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Like, What are the ones that you still hear the most and are pretty quickly uh, – I don't want to say explained away, but once like reality meets – uh, the expectation, it, it doesn't seem as big of a problem as people once thought. I would say, Chase, the biggest thing that people still cite uh, as a problem or a barrier to getting an EV is charging times. And, you know, I think it's pretty easy for people to look at, say, oh, eight hours, you know, I'm used to a five minute fill up that just doesn't work for me. And I think that eight hours or however long it is really needs some context. You know, um, Matt, I think you can go to a lot further detail than I can about uh, the fuel education piece, but this whole gas mentality of you're going about your driving and then you have to deviate off your route to go somewhere to refuel and that takes X amount of time. That whole way of thinking about refueling just doesn't apply to 99% of, of EV charging. You know, I mean, I, 
I use a 110 volt outlet to charge my car at home. And technically that would take more than 24 hours to fully charge my car, but I can get 40 or 50 miles overnight recharging in 10 hours. And guess what? I typically don't drive more than 40 or 50 miles in a day. So that eight or 10 hours isn't a problem for me whatsoever. And people say, oh, you know, a, a, a 30 minute or one hour fueling time at a fast charger out there, that's just way too long. The number of times I've actually genuinely needed to use that, I can borderline count on one hand. And I've been driving an electric vehicle since 2014. Uh, so, you know, I, I think probably one of the best ways for people to get over a lot of these is to just live with an EV, just experience it, use it for your daily drive for a day, a week, any amount of time. Um, you know, I have a small company on the side where I rent out electric vehicles and I can't tell you how many times I've accidentally helped sell somebody on getting an electric car because they just used it in, in their daily life. And they're like, Oh my God, this charging thing, I can do it at home. I can do it at work. I can do it at the grocery store while I'm there. It's, it just the whole mindset of how you refuel is different with EVs. And I think, you know, as Matt, I'm sure you're about to say, like once you start doing it and you realize all the different places there are to charge, it's more convenient than gas, not less. Well, I, I, yeah, actually the, the word you just used at the end of the convenience element of it is I think that most people don't realize because there's a, again, they, let's kind of take a step back is average people don't know what they don't know <laughs> and they make assumptions. And the, the aspect of, uh, of convenience is something that they just, it doesn't cross their mind about the concept of they can fill up at home when their car is just sitting for 10 hours. And that's a, it's a massive element of convenience. Now that's for the 50% of the United States that has a home with a garage or a driveway. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the balancing act of, it's not a one size fits all user experience with electric fuel, as we call it at Chargeway, is because you still have to understand what the use case is for each person. So we're going to, I think, gradually chip away at, at, at the mass market for how people can see how they can fit it into their life. But the assumptions most people come in with is that it is like gas. It's, you know, every connector is the same, every station is the same, the speed should be the same, all those basic things that they have gotten conditioned by with gasoline for decades. And that, that's a huge psychological and educational barrier that we need to bring down to earth because to your point, it'll immediately scare them off if they hear 30 minutes or an hour or a day or God knows what. And that's a big part of what we're looking at is, is they don't even realize they have a fuel choice because it's just very clear. I mean, Ford did a study last fall where 42% of respondents when asked, how do you fill up an electric car? They said with gas. <laughs> I mean, so we've got this, yeah, I heard about that. it's terrible. So, I mean, and so I look at that and I say, that's the evidence there is that we've, we've spent a lot of time on trying to get people to think about electric cars, but the product that they're actually changing over to using is electric fuel. And how do we bring that down to earth for the complexities that do exist within it that, you know, physics, we can't fight. And how do we help people understand how that fits into their routines? Um, that's a big part of what we're focused on. So, yeah. So to your point, Wade, I mean, yeah, I mean, my wife uses a level one at home constantly because she doesn't drive, you know, near enough to need anything more than that at home. Um, and again, our use cases, we fill up at home all the time, but you need to then be able to balance out what can my car do compared to what can each station do for my needs and making that so simple that people cannot goof it up. Otherwise they'll just default to saying I get regular gas right now and I don't have to think about it. And that's, yeah. that's the challenge we have. Yep. With uh, charging where it is right now, I mean, I, I think one of the great things that I like about the Chargeway app or a lot of the, the tools out there 
is, and it kind of goes that it's like, where are these charging uh, stations? Where can you find them? And I, I think a big visualization is when they can actually see that they are everywhere. They might not always have the big uh, orange shell, or I guess that's 76, orange 76 right next to the highway. But as far as like the day to day, you never need it. It's kind of like leaving the house with a fully charged uh, phone every day. They usually die, but with the cars, I've never had that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where I think, I know that's kind of been a big talking point for a lot of people in the EV space is there needs to be better signage, better signage. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that is true. However, um, I think it was Forth recently had someone on in one of their webinars talking. And for people who don't know, Forth is it's kind of a local, uh, I guess they're no longer local, they're all over the US, but a nonprofit that's kind of helping uh, build awareness for electric vehicles. And one of the things that this study from people in Berkeley had said was, I, I believe it was Berkeley, it was somewhere from the Bay Area, that essentially over the last 10 years, awareness of even electric vehicles in general hasn't grown. And so I'm always trying to figure out ways to really build that awareness just beyond, here's a couple of signs. And I, I think sometimes that might be the bigger issue. And would love to hear what, if there's anything you guys have seen to kind of help change the mindset or just really change the conversation in a way that really stands out. Uh, no, actually, I think the study you're referring to is probably the UC Davis study. Uh, that's, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and it was interesting because it was between 2014 and 2017 that the amount of public available charging stations in California doubled, but the percentage of people that felt that there was not enough infrastructure for EVs in California also doubled. <laughs> yeah. And so if you're, if you're the, the if you build it, they will come mentality clearly isn't, isn't working because we have to ask ourselves, what, what are we trying to convince people to do? And I think to your point about the study from UC Davis is the fact that if we pretend that putting a charging station into a parking lot that's the size of, you know, I don't know, a phone booth or a lunchbox even is the equivalent of putting in a fueling station that's the size of a city block on a corner, then we're playing, a, we're, we're already screwing up because the visibility of fuel is the problem is, is there's two products we all purchase every time we buy a car that runs on gasoline, the car itself and the gas. We don't think about the gas because it's just waiting in the background and we've seen it everywhere. It's infrastructure has existed for decades. Yeah. It's, it's ingrained into society and that's how we understand fuel. And so that's a huge, huge psychological barrier. That's why I don't think it it works too well to try to explain an electric car, like a cell phone. Oh, you just plug it in because people then have the exact response that you did, which was, well, my phone can die, but my, my car, you know, if I put it filled with gas, it doesn't die unless I'm an idiot. I mean, that's kind of how people think of it. So it's funny yeah. you should say that. I had a really funny experience recently. Uh, kind of going off of that, I, I also have a Subaru Outback that I usually drive my uh, dogs around in. That comes and standard with all Portland residents. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I haven't heard that before, Wade. That's I, I original. Had, I had an Outback when I lived in Portland, too. You no, can, I know. That's a two way street. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure it's, you don't even get tax rebates or anything anymore. This like, once you do your taxes, they give you either an Outback or an Impreza, depending. Uh, but no, so yeah, hashtag Portland problems. But no, I, uh, I took it to the gas station, paid 40 bucks, and then uh, drove away. And I was like, oh, the empty, the gas light is still saying it's empty. Ended up taking a Subaru, got a loaner car, and then the whole time it turned out they had charged me 40 bucks and never filled the tank. Oh, because they were filling it for you kind of thing. Yeah, I thought there was a glitch with the actual, uh, no, I mean, yeah, they were, they, I mean, yeah, I guess that's something else to clarify. In Oregon, people 
pump the gas for you. And yeah. they kind of change it for uh, with COVID going on. But the place I was at was uh, the person comes down, actually still pumps it for you. And so I drove off assuming because the gas light still wouldn't go off that there must be an issue with the car and not the charging infrastructure of the gas station. <laughs> so it's kind of like this weird, are there problems? Yes. Are there problems with the current status? Yes. Uh, and I, I do, I do think it's kind of that, like the, I mean, I'm sure you guys have always heard it, but it's that analogy of like horses before the cars were a thing. What would you, how would you describe a better way to get around? And people would faster say, Oh, horse. a faster horse that eats less. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, it doesn't, and doesn't yeah. poop or bite. Right. Well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, and, and so it's just like, it was this really weird and oddly like one, I kind of felt dumb, but two, just like surreal experience. So like, okay, is this what we've known? Yeah. Is it easier? Not really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I, the, the, now the, that was a fluke. That's the first time I've had that happen or heard it happen to someone else. But yeah. Just, okay. I think the thing that the, because Oregon obviously being unique and same with New Jersey, yeah. they, they pump gas yeah. is, is that there's a lot of Oregonians that may not fundamentally understand, you know, that process, right? right. But the other 48 <laughs> states, they get it. Um, I think the one thing that's interesting about uh, gasoline and, and just the experience of using it is that you, you, as a driver, predominantly you have control of it by saying the fact that you choose, I get this, I went to there, I can, I can manipulate the situation and I can do it myself and it's simple and it's fast and I'm willing to pay for that convenience. That's the difference is that is even the comparison of like electricity is much cheaper than gasoline. A consumer that isn't fundamentally interested in changing over to a new fuel type, they're gonna ask the same questions, which is okay, is it as fast? And depending on which station you're at or what car you're driving, the answer is, well, maybe not. And then they'll immediately have the retort of, well, then I'll keep paying for convenience. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how consumers think. Yeah. So, so I, I guess looking at where EV charging is headed, does that really mean there's much need for like level one, level two outside of like personal homes and maybe, maybe at work yeah. is really DC fast charging. I mean, that seems to be where people are having these issues. Like where, where do you guys see kind of the future of EV charging? Is it that, is there the possibility of battery swapping coming back or something like that? So I, I think, um, you know, Matt, you really eloquently put that gas and the infrastructure and the way we think about fuel and the way we think about refueling has been ingrained in many decades, you know, more than a generation of Americans. And so we have this standard that we think about. And with EV charging, I don't think that necessarily there needs to be this same overarching single solution that works the same for every car and every person. Um, you know, uh, DC charging is obviously substantially faster than, than AC. There's, there's no question about that. But depending on where you live and what infrastructure you have available to you, it might be largely irrelevant. Um, you know, like I, I've used superchargers. I've used other DC fast chargers for non-Tesla EVs as well. But I've never had to rely on that as, as my main form of refueling. I'm, I'm lucky in that I live in California where we have really phenomenal infrastructure almost everywhere. Um, there's three superchargers within a five mile radius of my house. I work for a company that builds EV chargers. So I have free charging here at work. I have a 110 in the garage. Like I have lots of options. So what you're available. saying is you're not the normal 
car driver. No, not at all. So, but... And I guess that does come. The question is: all three of us live in the asterisk states, as I call them, where it's like, yeah. oh yeah, it's, it's that's what people do. You can drive an EV. It's it's a thing. There's but, driving everywhere. But you know, um, Chase, I think that any of the three different refueling paradigms that I just mentioned there could work as someone's sole means of recharging. If you have a 240 volt outlet at home, that's probably going to work for you 99.9% of the time. If you have a uh, level two charger available at your workplace, that's probably going to work for you 99% of the time. If you need to rely on public DC charging on a regular basis, I actually think that's probably the least convenient, most problematic of the three refueling archetypes but it works. I mean, I have a friend who doesn't have charging at home, doesn't have uh, charging at work. And pre-COVID, he was commuting 108 miles a day in his Model S. So he was literally using a supercharger every day. But did he ever get stranded? No. Did he ever not make it to his destination, do what he needed to do? No. So um, you really do get a you know, there's, there's, there's no broad stroke that's a, a one-size-fits-all answer, I think, here going forward. Um, one thing that, you know, sort of tying in what we were talking about just before this as well, one thing that I think could help a lot of people get further into this is that, you know, FreeWire is specifically building a fast charging station that's designed to go at gas stations. And I think that, you know, talking about how well things are advertised, if you start to see EV charging stations at gas stations, that might spark a conversation for a lot of people to get an EV who would otherwise be totally uninterested or actually be skeptical of it happening. And again, once you own an EV, you start to learn all of these things that we're discussing that all of us as EV drivers have known for years already. And I feel like if, if somebody, you know, used a fast charger at a gas station, even a couple times, they'd start to realize maybe actually this isn't the best way to refuel my vehicle. So I think I, I, that's, that's an interesting, there. no, that, that's, that's completely Completely valid. I, that kind of gave me an idea that like going off that, Matt, given you're having more of the marketing background and you probably have some of these conversations as well. Has, have you had any dis uh, discussions with like a gas company or a chain that would be, I mean, marketing, eventually brands do have to rebrand. And if you've already got like the shell or the 76, I mean, maybe you turn the seven of 76 into like a lightning bolt or something <laughs> to kind of re-clarify your service offerings. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's I, ever come up. Maybe that's just me oh, being kind of crazy. No, no, I've had, I've, we've, I mean, I've, I've had conversations so. with and, and, and charge we've had, we've had conversations with energy companies about, you know, they call themselves energy companies, but we know what that actually means. Yeah. Um, but I will be honest, I'm not the first proponent for gas station installations for fast charging, unless it's, unless it's 350 kilowatt or higher or level seven as we would call it in charge way. Because gotcha. if you are, it, it's, we're, then you're taking the Coke versus Pepsi challenge and you've got, a, you've got a, a wide mass market that's been drinking Coke forever and you're rolling in with Pepsi. And if Pepsi isn't as good as or better, they will sit and watch what's going on and say, okay, I just filled up my gas powered car in 10 minutes. But if that station over there is, let's arguably say 120 kilowatt or level six in charge way, and it takes 30 minutes to charge up to what you really need to move on to your next destination. If you're like leapfrogging to other fast chargers, we're talking a disparity of potentially 20 minutes. And then you'll have this, this again, that's a visualization for people that are not familiar with electric cars to see. And if it's a high, super high powered, you know, fast charger, like a level seven in charge way, and you're getting, you're getting in and out in 15 minutes, arguably you start to have a conversation of, Hey, that thing is fast. That car is fast in your car. 
and I just filled up basically as fast as your gas car. And uh, you want to go for a ride really quick or you want to see how fast my car is? I mean, that's, then you start having a really balanced conversation. But this notion of, I, I just, I'm not a huge uh, proponent for that because I feel like it's going to set up the EV conversation for setting up um, a bad experience just as, as a first impression. You know, it's like, oh, wow, you've been sitting here for, like, I pulled up with my gas car. You already plugged in charging. I'm already done filling right. up and you're still sitting there. That, that's, that's a bad marketing tactic. That means that you will have someone walk away from that saying, see, took too long. I didn't want to hear your conversation to why it matters in one way or another. I'm leaving now. And that's the problem. That's what we're fighting. So. So with 350 kilowatt, where do you see that like really being unlocked? Because as far as I know, there are no current cars that can handle that kind of speed. And where, I mean, I think they're on the horizon and the technology is theoretically there. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, what, even, I mean, there's a huge difference even between 120 kilowatt and like 200, 250. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I would say even at 250, you're pretty, depending on the car, you're pretty close to being there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the missing? Is it concerns and interest from automotive? Is it a more similar architecture? I think the buzzword I keep hearing, and I'm still like skeptical of it, is people keep talking about 800 volt architecture for EVs. Yes. And I really think that's more of a marketing thing, just kind of like how megapixels was for cameras. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything. It just sounds cool. Well, because everyone number. knows more horsepower. So more volts must be more charge, right? That, yeah. That, that's yeah. unquestionably true. Um, yeah. I have a sort of deep engineering lens on a lot of what you just mentioned. And there is one 800 volt architecture vehicle out there already, the Porsche Taycan. Yep. You know, it's not a mass market car because the cheapest right. version is $106,000. So, you know, like it's, it's not. They have you know, payment it, plans, right? That's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like one kidney, two kidney. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll trade my home for this portion. Yeah. Um, no, uh, so I mean, we're still in very early days for 800 volt architecture. Uh, doubling the voltage will unquestionably allow faster charging times as well. But you know, at the end of the day, the number of kilowatts you're talking about is always going to be volts times amps. And so, to get to really high speed, if you're not doubling the voltage, because with the exception of the Porsche, every EV out there runs at 400 volts right now. There's a lot of research behind that. There's a lot of established manufacturing behind that. Like 400 volt EVs are going to be the common type of EV for at least the next five to 10 years, possibly longer than that. And so, you know, at 400 volts, um, I mean, that's still an insane amount of power. Of course right? it is. Oh, of yeah. course it is. Yeah. But I mean, at, at 400 volts yeah. to hit 250 kilowatts, you're talking about more than 600 amps of current. And that's just insane. I mean, the, the, the cooling requirements, the cabling requirements to do 600 amps for 30 seconds, let alone five or 10 continuous minutes, um, are just, from an engineering perspective, are just wild. And so um, 800 but I mean, volts- is it really that different with 800 volts? Like, cause even when you start no. looking from another engineer perspective, you're still gonna have to deal with a lot of other similar things. You, you are, but yeah. 800 volts, I mean, 800 volts are expensive right now because very few people have done it. It's basically just the Volkswagen group at this point who have done it. Right. Uh, you know, there's a few heavy duty trucking applications where 800 volts exist, but we're in the hyper early days of 800 volts. Um, you can cut the current in half. That's going to make cooling requirements a lot easier. That's going to mean cabling. You don't have to have cables that are the size of fire hoses to, yeah. to, to handle, you know, just an insane amount of current. So 
um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of engineering challenges associated with all of that. Uh, and another thing that I see in industry as you know as well, and I you know I, I know both of you guys are experienced marketers, and I have nothing against marketing people, and I've done marketing myself as well, but. I do frankly see a lot of marketing BS out there where people are like, you know, yeah, we're going to be able to hit 600 kilowatts within the next few years. And I look at the details and that the way they arrive at 600 kilowatts is a thousand volts times 600 amps. And it's like, what EV runs at a thousand volts? Oh, right. None of them. Yeah. What, you know, like what car can handle 600 amps? Right. None of them. So, you know, I see a lot of these, huge numbers, you know, 350. Well, I guess that's, that kind of goes back to what I'm wondering though, is like, is it even necessary? I don't think so. And I'm, I'm happy yeah. to extrapolate on that a little yeah. bit more, but just from an engineering perspective, getting to some of these crazy high numbers, even 350 right. kilowatts, like the actual, you know, electrical engineering and physics required to do it is immensely challenging. And as you already mentioned, Chase, the number of vehicles out there that can actually accept anywhere close to that amount of power, like the vehicles are not there yet. They will yeah, come. Yeah, I mean, the, I, only, the, the closest things even plus 200 that I know of are the Taycan and then also the Teslas. Teslas. That's yeah. it. And granted, there's a lot of Teslas out there, but um, I do think there is this really intense marketing push. Well, I can do 350 kilowatts. Well, I can do 370. Well, I can do No, totally. It, it seems like the megapixel race of cameras. Yeah. It really yeah. means nothing, but it sounds cool. No, and, that's, <laughs> and, and as a marketer, it, it pisses me off to no end yeah. when that kind of crap happens because it's just fluff for fluff. Yeah. Just, right. just, uh, I'm going to grab a big number and, ooh, isn't this exciting? Yeah. And the answer is to a driver, at the end of the day, they're not thinking that deep into it. And if you want to throw a big number at them, they're going to go, great. What does it mean for my driving? Yeah. Experience? Most drivers right. have no idea what that means. That's a no. really good point, Matt. Yeah. And well, and it's uh, honestly credit to Tesla is they have hidden all of it. it my, one of my favorite phone calls I was ever on is I was, I was talking to a major network and we were discussing Chargeway and how the leveling system works and why it helps to simple, simplify what we're talking about so that you can hand it to an auto dealer or a friend and they can talk about, I get the fact that level five is less than level six. And they kept really discussing deeply, you know, kilowatt is, they, they got to know what the maximum kilowatt is. And th there was some intern on the phone that goes, you know, Tesla just dropped using all their numbers to identify their cars. Now they're just calling them long range and standard range. Everybody got silent. And all of a sudden someone's like, wait, wait, they did what? And I said, yeah, that's because they figured it out. Yeah. They, not only did they have the right ecosystem on how to build the right products that could interact with one another, charging and, and car, but they, they did cater to that early adopter mindset, focused on some of the technology with 70D, 100D on down the line. But you hand a Tesla to Bob and Jane that know nothing about the engineering. They don't care about cars either. They don't care about cars. They're just like standard range, long range. Oh, I want the long one, honey. That'd be great. Okay, yeah. we're going to go charging. Where are we going to charge at? Well, you could go to your destination charger when you arrive. Or you could go to a supercharger on the way. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's the Disney approach to saying this is how it works. And yeah. so, you know, our conversation about amps and volts and kilowatts, I mean, we, we can all go round and round about it, but yeah. yeah we, we're nerds. We care about that. Totally. That's, yeah. not, that's not mass market information whatsoever. You're totally right. The Bob and Jane example, they don't know how many horsepower their car has. They don't know, you know, how many kilowatts it charges at. They don't care. Like they, it, yeah. Well, that's why we I mean, it's, said. It's, it's not really even different once again than uh, gas. I mean, it used to be oh. lighted. 
Then I'm like, oh, that's real bad. Now it's unleaded. And they still call it unleaded, even though it's a regular or whatever. And regular, regular plus really and just, supreme, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, no, we did it. We did a study at auto shows, yeah. basically as part of our original research for Chargeway to, because we would go into rooms with engineers at utilities and, and automakers and networks. And we would tell them why we were developing what we're developing. And they just kept saying, no, 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 but that, it's kilowatts. You have to tell them it's the kilowatts. You have to tell them it's a, a Chatamo. And I said, no, you don't. And so we finally proved by just surveying hundreds and thousands of people to say, what kind of car do you drive? Oh, I drive a Subaru Outback. Okay, when you go to the gas station, what kind of gas do you get? First word that comes to your mind. 72% of respondents use the word regular. Another 21% use the word premium. And that's all they know. And then when you yeah. ask them, by the way, do you know what octane number you use? First, right. you're like, can yeah. you tell me? And they'd go, ah, 60 something. I mean, yeah, it, it's, and it's 87 or 91. But it went all over the map. And then if someone got the number right, We'd have a follow-up and say, oh, can you tell me what 87 means? They'd go, well, yeah, regular. Mm -hmm. So what we found was that gas stations for the last you know, 40 years literally could have been cherry, apple, banana at the gas station. <laughs> so, I mean, that's- Interesting. I, mean, I like that analogy. Yeah. That's, and so, so this is- Who, who does this fall to then? Is it the automakers? Is it, is it the charging infrastructure? Or I, I think you and I think all three of us have had these conversations independently, but it's- now is it like the utilities? Is that or do they now become the new Texacos? Are they interested in doing that? Or well, who, who does this opportunity to fall to? And obviously, yeah. the vertically integrated uh, model worked really well for Tesla and kind of get launched. But like for it to even continue to hit any of these numbers that car companies are talking about, they have no interest. It seems like in the charging infrastructure or getting the numbers up. Yeah. It, well, the the people. It, that it's also a chicken and egg thing, but I, I feel like. Where, where's the really the opportunity there? Is it like a utility to say, hey, we make money selling electricity. We already invest hundreds of millions in infrastructure anyway. We can just plug a couple of these up and down I-5 where we have these massive power lines. Yeah, it's so, not that simple. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's, I, I'm not no, saying it is, yeah. but it, it, like the, it's a lot simpler for them to do it than Ford or- to, Well, their man, well, Wade can probably speak to this. To, to give yeah. you a little background, Chase, Investor-owned utility are actually investor-owned utilities are actually regulated on how much money they're allowed to make, True. and so that's valid. Yeah, Good selling point. selling more electricity does not necessarily mean making more money for them. Um, you know, like asset utilization or the need to spend money on additional infrastructure or upgrading existing infrastructure. That's what they're interested in. And, and that's why they like EV charging is it's going to require a shitload more copper in the ground. Yeah. And those are upgrades that they want to make anyways. Now they have a better justification to do it. Yep. There are some private utilities out there where the more kilowatts, kilowatt hours of electricity they sell, the more money they make. That is true in some places, but the utilities all know at the end of the day, the electricity is coming from them. So it doesn't really matter if they install the charger or not, it's they're still providing the electricity. Yep. Um, so, you know, some more progressive utilities are more interested in this because they can see some advantages in the bigger picture and they're a little bit more nuanced and sophisticated about it, but others aren't. Um, you know, who are, who, who are gonna be the no, new that, those, that, those are great points. Uh, and I'm, I am curious, like, given that you actually work on the infrastructure side of it, Wade, where are you seeing like the demand? I mean, you don't have to say specifics, but like, is it automakers? Is it private industry? It sounds like you've had some interactions with utilities, though minor. Like, uh, again, who fixes this kind of missing link problem to 
I, I don't know that it's a one size fits all. Um, yeah. Existing infrastructure companies out there, or sorry, not infrastructure companies, charging networks. Um, you know, they want to expand their customer base. They, Matt, you interact with car dealers on a pretty regular basis. I'm sure ChargePoint, EVgo, Electrify America, all of them would love to have access to customers at the point of sale. So immediately they're just, it's ingrained in their mind out of the gates of, I have an electric car, where do I go to refuel it? I go to Electrify America, I go to ChargePoint, I go to EVgo, insert here. Like, you know, there's, there's a number of networks out there who I think are interested in installing infrastructure. Um, so I, I hate to ask it, but why do they not do that? Because I'm even thinking about the most recent experience I had when I had to buy that Outback and they were trying to hook me up with some insurance company. I mean, it sounds no different. Like they're trying to figure out upsells and that's where dealerships make a lot of money. Yeah. And it, to me, it seems like if Subaru or whoever, whichever XYZ company partnered with EVgo, I mean, Charge Connect, yeah. long list of them, Electrify America, there, are there could some, be some pretty quick and easy upsell opportunities that would benefit the dealer and the end well, driver. There are some partnerships with OEMs broadly, but the last time I worked with a company that interacted with a dealership was 2015. So Matt yeah. is going to be able to answer this question a whole lot better than I can. Yeah, well, there's yeah the networks. There's, there's a combination of things that have happened, especially in the last in the last five years or so. Which is the there have been networks that have aligned with OEMs. Uh, ChargePoint, as an example, with General Motors. Uh, a lot of original uh, volts and bolts that were purchased, you would have a charge point card like inside your right. glove box as part of the promotion. Uh, but again, that's one network out of a dozen or more yeah. that are now nationally used. Um, also, the interoperability element of uh, networks aligning to say you can use EVgo, for example, saying you can use the EVgo app to activate a charge point station, like those types of things. I mean, so these are all things that they've been working to collaborate on. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, bluntly, the networks are all vying for market share, as Wade said. Yeah. So there, as much as you might even go to a conference and, and see representatives from each network on a single panel talking about infrastructure, at the end of the day, when they all They're walk off, each other. yeah, they'll hamstring each other left and right for contracts with utilities to get a, a station put in somewhere. They're all vying for that footprint. The oddity of it is, is for all the grief that dealers get for being middlemen and people go, ah, I just want to go straight to the source. Sorry, that's what networks are is they are the exact same thing for electric fuel. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's, and the oddity of that then is, is who controls the conversation as you've asked, uh, Chase, and my two cents, frankly, is who answers these questions? It is the energy sector, it is utilities. And, and but to Wade's point is if it's an IOU, an investor owned utility, they are, they are basically hamstringed themselves for how much they can do from a motivational perspective. Yep. It's like, yeah, I, sure, okay, fine. On top of which, even if a, an, an, a utility, an IOU says, we're going to put in a boatload of infrastructure. How many networks have been suing utilities saying, uh, uh, you just basically created a monopoly in your service territory and we have charging stations there. You're basically pushing us out of your service territory. So we're going to sue you. It is a combination of nightmarish elements like that, that happen in the background that are the consumers are on the receiving end of. And right. it's, it's then it's the really motivated consumer that wants to go through all that garbage to figure out how to then engage with it. And so my two cents is who changes the narrative. Automakers, they'll build any car that runs on anything. Gas, natural gas, electricity, unicorns, hydrogen. You know, yeah, yeah, unicorns, farts, tears, yeah, farts, yeah. 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 They, they, they don't care. If you go to a Chevy dealer and you want an electric car, if the sales rep doesn't know how to talk about electricity as a fuel type, they will try to get you into a Chevy because they sell Chevys. And so it's not that they hate electric cars, it's that they have a job and they like making a living. It's not that they have a bend against like, I hate EVs. It's like, no, it's just that 
these people are on one little element conversation about, I got to just do what my job is to put you into a Chevy. And if you want an electric one and I am not comfortable selling it to you, I'll just get you into whatever I can. And therefore who answers the question about how you talk about the fuel? It's whoever makes it. And I'm sorry to all the fossil fuel providers out there, but you are my, you might be energy companies now, but the reality is you are not making the electricity. You, and so honestly, utilities are, they are the gatekeeper to solving this problem on a larger scale in my yeah. opinion. And, and to swing back to something we mentioned earlier, Matt, you know, like I know that there's pros and cons of having EV chargers at gas stations out there. The vast majority of gas stations out there, they don't make their money on the fuel. They make their oh, money no. on, on the marked right. up Pepsi's Red Bull yeah, and Snickers. Yeah, and yeah. so, so in that regard, a lot of gas station owners, you know, or in the UK forecourt owners, they actually love the idea of putting in EV chargers because the dwell time dwell is going to be longer. Yeah. So, so the customer has longer sitting there looking at the slushy machine to think, yeah, I'll pay $4 for that. No <laughs> I problem. should have a third slushy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. And from a, from a marketing perspective, get the dollars in the door. It makes perfect sense. As, and so as someone who's as a business owner, I would say, yeah, shit, why not? Let's, let's, mm -hmm. wait, we could put in 150 KW. Let's make it 100 kW. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but then what it does to those in the EV space that want to accelerate EV adoption and consumer perception around why it's a great choice is it becomes the actual, it, it, it's a counter to that. It's mm -hmm. then you're positioning two products side by side, one of which from a convenience perspective is far more convenient if you just want to get back in the, the car that moves you quicker. And so it's in that sense, yeah, you're fighting business wanting to just make money and you're also fighting consumer perception psychology. It's, it's, there's a lot going on there. So. While, while we're on the subject of refueling and, you know, getting back in your car and getting on the road faster, uh, I have a maybe controversial point, and that's that I think 150 kilowatt fast charging is fast enough. I, I, I do not think there is a real need for faster than that. Obviously, tons of companies are pushing both the engineering boundaries to actually make that happen, and then there's a lot of marketing companies who are pushing fluff bullshit as well. So I, I think just, I, I, to be honest with you, I really don't disagree, but I would say that is on like the lower threshold. Like 150, yeah. it's- I mean, to be fair, most- It makes it work. But most non-Tesla fast of chargers out there are only 50 kilowatts right oh, now. Oh, totally. And those totally. do need to become faster. But, yeah. you know, I've charged at a wide variety of speeds out there. And I honestly think, this is just my personal opinion from my personal experience, I think 150 kilowatts is fast enough. Well, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that either. I, I think just to put it in context for people who don't understand what 150 kW means. Good point. Level, like, level six. Get, yeah, I mean, for example, it's like, okay, I've been on the road for like three hours. I go get something to eat, something to drink. And most of the time, in my experience, if you're at 150 kW, maybe once I've done like whatever I need to do, maybe I'm working or like I need to hang out like another five minutes, if that. Uh, and that way, anyway, I'm like, oh, I got to shoot a couple of texts to so-and-so. So it's like, you're right. I think 150 KW. And to be honest with you, even like once you get 200, 250, there've been times where I've seen- It's too fast. Play, it almost is, which yeah. I'm not going to say no to it. Uh, I'm not either, but, but yeah, I've, yeah. I've experienced the same thing, Chase, where I, I, I pulled up and there was a convenience store, a block 
and I go to the convenience store and I'm not even done checking out. I haven't swiped my credit card yet to buy the snacks I was going to get for the road. And my car's already like, you have 250 miles of range ready to go. And I'm just like, I, I'm not ready to go yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, would, I would say, I think, yeah, 150 is certainly more than adequate. I mean, again, especially if you're road tripping, it's the, it's the element of you don't own a house, so you can't charge at home. Your workplace doesn't have charging. Totally. What's your option then? And then it becomes a little bit more of a, okay, I I would rather maybe still want to have something more convenient. But this is where I think we're building into that process of of phasing EVs into society with basically who it works with best. Um, And unfortunately, yes, that does mean people that are in a position where they actually can charge at home. And so the inconvenience of charging doesn't feel that way because they always leave with a full charge. And then if they do go on a road trip, there's enough genuinely fast charging infrastructure now that if you're driving the right car, to your point, Wade, it's, yeah, it's 20 minutes maybe, and then you're back on the road. And for my experience, for what I do with my car, that works absolutely perfectly. And I don't give it a second thought. But that, again, if, if I didn't have a house that I could fill up at every, yeah. every single night, then I'd be like, oh, that still may yeah. not be perfect. Yep. So, um, Which EV do you have again, Matt? Um, I have a Model 3 and my wife has a Bolt. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. And so we road trip in my car because mm-hmm. it's just more practical from a fast charging perspective. Yep. Uh, yeah. But both of them are awesome cars for what they offer in the sense that, yeah, they both go over 200 miles easily. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that the hard part is, is it's, is, is gases fit everybody's use case, whether you were living in your mom's basement and you parked around the corner or you had a mansion and you own seven cars, gas works for both those use cases from a convenience perspective very well in most people's minds. Mm-hmm. The inconvenience is I have to go get my fuel. Yeah. The more yeah. that we can help people understand that they really can own their fuel and, and actually, and if they do have the ability to say, I park at home and I can control this, I think that's a huge, huge selling point. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, that's the missed opportunity right now to help accelerate the industry, even a nice chunk forward, is there are so many people that have the disposable income and places to park that could be buying these cars left and right. And they just don't seem to yet understand the benefit of that. I, I've seen so many folks who put solar panels on their roof and started to think, just a little tiny bit about energy independence. And they're like, wait, I'm generating all of this clean, free electricity. I should get a car that uses this. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a solar panel owner where they're like, I should get an EV. And I'm like, yes, yeah. absolutely you should. Yeah. Well, if you live in places like Arizona or Southern California. Seriously. I mean, oh, yeah. man. It's, yeah. there's, not, there's no one should, should have a house that doesn't have solar on it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so again, but it, what we're, so all this conversation, what are we talking about? We're talking about energy education yeah. and, and the, my father's an engineer and, and he and I sat and had long conversations about this. And as a marketer, I kept saying, okay, what bare minimum to be dangerous, what do people need to know, you know, and to at least not make a mistake with how they're going to fill up their car, for example, using electricity. Mm-hmm. And we went through conversations back and forth and he just kept saying, he's like, until it's dummied down to the point where someone who says I used to get regular, but now I go get whatever that new phrase is. Mm-hmm. Tesla is the only example because they created that Apple-esque ecosystem that you can't goof it up unless you try. So. Yeah. So I, I've got a question for you since you own, uh, were you with your wife when you, did you guys buy the Bolt together or was she at the dealership when she bought it? No, we were there together. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious of your experience. So one of my like kind of amusing, uh, or what I found really amusing is when GM had their big uh, presentation re- uh, recently on the, uh, this Ultium kind of yeah. style battery and uh, kind of platform they're moving to. One of the analogies they used is like, okay, we're going to be the Android 
of the industry, which I thought was like, well, yeah, that's great, but they don't, if you're hardware and Android, no one makes money on those. Like, <laughs> but from I, a hardware if anyone's like an like investor in that company and knows that space, I was like, that is like a terrible, I get what you're trying to say. Right. But like, profits are terrible in that space, usually. There's, there's a couple exceptions, but far, far and uh, wide. So, like, kind of going off that, if Tesla's Apple and the Bolt is the Android experience, like, through the buying purchase, and it sounds like for you overall, like, it has been pretty, uh, good day to day. Like what are, have you actually seen that? Is that kind of a marketing difference or is it really just, it doesn't really matter the car. You just need to know. Oh, in that sense. I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, from an OEM perspective, the only other OEM that's, that's I, in my opinion is, is attacking the customer and user experience in a way that will actually compete with Tesla is Volkswagen. Gotcha. And every, every other brand is still kind of reaching for what their commentary and narrative is going to be. Uh, but let's be honest. I mean, Tesla is, they are, the best example of Tesla I heard the day was, I forget which article I read uh, about this, but the gentleman said, he's like, I kept getting wrong with who I was comparing them to, but I finally realized that they're the general electric of the 21st century. They're going to touch everything. They're going to touch right. medical devices, energy, transportation, all these different sectors. And they're doing it in a very, in a very exciting way. GE has kind of always been in the background, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a, that's a GE engine or something. And you don't even really think about it. But Tesla's done it in a very brand excited way. And these other automotive companies, they are just automotive. Yeah. And yeah. They are, they're really trying to figure out how to play in this space. And unfortunately, they've just defaulted to saying like, again, well, somebody else figures out the fuel. Somebody else figures that out. And they're still doing that, aside from uh, Volkswagen with Electrify America. But even that- But, but even then, they, they, they were forced to do that. They right. didn't voluntarily yeah. do that. Right, no, honestly, they are benefiting from the fact that they got caught and reprimanded. They are benefiting from that honestly, mm -hmm. uh, in a big way. And, 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 they're, future, yeah. Yeah, and they're leveraging it in ways I think that will be smart. But I mean, yeah, candidly, you know, un until they embrace a new approach to how they see themselves as a, as a product and as an entity, and by they, I mean the automotive companies, they're going to be behind on how they engage the public with this because they keep just waiting for someone else to solve the problem. In a, in a, in a less sexy way, I would also argue that Hyundai Kia is worth mentioning there, uh, primarily because the South Koreans are really the only other major player in the global battery race as well. You know, the, the Chinese have won the, the global high voltage battery race, but the South Koreans have some real competitive players, LG Chem, Samsung yeah. SDI, SK Innovation. So again, like it's not sexy and, and brand effective the way you mentioned like Tesla is, sure. but the South Koreans really get the ecosystem of build batteries that go into cars, that go into energy storage, that go into a wide variety of applications. So when I, I think that's, that's a great point because one of the other things I've found really interesting in all of this as uh, automakers and everyone evolves is one of the big like things before Tesla entered the space or when DeLorean, you name it, through the history of automotive, a lot of the, re like, they kind of said they were too big for other people to enter the space because it's so hard to make the engine, to have the suppliers and all of these really critical things of the powertrain to make a car a car. Making a metal box, that's kind of difficult, but people can do that. Building a platform <laughs> that can actually drive around, do all this stuff, have the dealerships, it is definitely quite a hurdle. Yep. However, what I also find really interesting is over the last almost really since the 80s, but especially the 90s and the 2000s, there's been this huge acceleration with automakers kind of trying to sub out as much of that as possible. 
So whether it's making the engine, yeah. yeah. And so here's what's weird is like what they're becoming more and more and more is brands. And I think one of the big things that works really well for Tesla in this model, not that I want to sound pro, like super overly uh, pro Tesla and all this stuff, but when you look at like third party reviews of who has the best like uh, consumer opinion of brands, lately, Tesla crushes everyone. Tesla yeah. crushes everything. And then like maybe Lexus shows up. Yeah. And so if you're an automaker and your big defensive thing, you're kind of getting rid of that and you're trying to move more and more to be a marketing and brand play. And then with this evolution to EVs, they only seem to be accelerating it more and more with using LG. I guess it just seems so crazy to me from like that long-term defensive thing without there to be more consolidation in the automotive space. And then on top of that, like LG Chem's market cap isn't really that crazy. And everyone's kind of been complaining that there's a little bit of a demand issue, but then there's also production issues. I kind of would be surprised like if VW or GM's like, oh, we'll just buy them for like the defensive. You could see it. You could full see on it. production. I, I think the South Koreans. Not to go on a crazy. The, 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 the South Koreans, I think, would only let another South Korean company do that because they, they recognize that batteries are the commodity of the future. You know, that it, it's, it's so they have a massive strategic advantage because they have so much battery know-how. They already have factories set up all over the planet that are pumping out gigawatt hours a year. And they've got every automaker begging at their feet saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. So why would they get rid of that position? I, yeah. You know, like, like I, I agree with that hundred percent. And honestly, one of the fun ways to look at this too is, is that, Again, the whole thing about a motor and what has made you know, automotive companies what they are forever is mechanical engineering. And they've been brilliant at it. And yeah. everything, it, you, you said it very well, Chase. It's just like, well, making a metal box, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard, but it's not that hard. You, know, you can kind of yeah. do that part. Really, it fundamentally changes the heart and soul of what, of what auto brands have been for ages. And at the end of the day, we've got, like, think of an electric car kind of like a body. Like, the heart of it is the battery. And so if you're not in that space and you're, and you're outsourcing that as best you can and letting somebody else who's an expert feed that into you, you're already behind. And so that's number one. Right. Number two is the software is the nervous system. If your software totally. is, is not brilliant and perfect and the UI, UX and integration of it is not- You're not competitive. Specific, you're not yeah. competitive. And then at the end of the day, the blood is the electricity that makes everything go. So if you're not understanding how to explain how that all works and have a consumer interact with your product that uses that, you're also toast. And so I look at all those three factors and I go, which legacy auto brands have figured those three things out? The, the only thing further I would add to that, Matt, that was really well said. Uh, the only thing further I'd add to that is manufacturing operations oh, as well. Sure. You know, like yeah. just these, you know, these factories are pretty much exclusively a quarter billion dollars. Most are more than half a billion dollars. Many of the really good ones are well over a billion dollars. Yeah. And you just, you know, like, that's hard. That's expensive. That's hard. You have to have some really technical people who are really smart and good at what they do. And, you know, like a player who is not involved in the EV space whatsoever right now, Toyota, you know, I'd like to think that maybe they're going to die in, in the whole EV space. But at the same time, they're so damn good at manufacturing yeah. and they are so efficient and their margins are so good. You know, like, I don't think Toyota makes any interesting automobiles, but they didn't become one of the biggest automakers on the planet for a reason. I mean, like Porsche, Porsche consulted Toyota on how to do better at their manufacturing. And Porsche has one of the strongest brands in the automotive sphere 
on par with Tesla. I mean, people yeah. love their Porsches as much as they love as people love their Teslas. Yeah. And that manufacturing know-how came from Toyota. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not pro Toyota by any stretch, but man, yeah, the 2020 Camry is pretty sweet. Oh, shut up. I'm Chase. no accountant, but I'm, I'm blown away. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. I, 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 I was, I, I have to admit, really I, like the RAV4 Prime. I, a I actually, friend of mine rented it, had a loaner one, and I was like surprised. I was like, this is actually kind of a cool car. And he's like, it's a camera. He's like, and I literally burst out laughing. <laughs> he's like, no, it actually is. I was like, really? Well, but what you just yeah. said is actually a big part of the conversation. They're like, oh, he said it was a camera, and I burst out laughing. Mm-hmm. It's, this is, the, this is the problem of the changeover of generational, just expect, you know, what, what they see themselves as and what attaches to them, right? Yeah. So, you, I mean, I had posters of Dodge Vipers and Corvettes on my wall. That was my generation. I was like, ah, that's, that's a badass car. But my nephews and nieces and kids I know today, Tesla, 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 Tesla. I know, that's what's crazy. That speaks to their generation of like, this feels like it's my thing, not my dad's thing, not my uncle's thing, not my grandfather's thing. That's my brand. And mm-hmm. that is honestly the biggest issue I think the, the brand element is going to have is that they, a lot of these legacy auto brands, they have a lot of equity and a lot of effort and a lot of uh, everything invested into who they are as a brand and a company. And for them to just turn around and say no to that and start something fresh that could potentially invigorate a new generation into their products. That's a big, big, big thing for them to take on. Well, and and to that point, Matt, I have a, I have a hard time seeing some brands like Cadillac or infinity even surviving. Yeah. Oh, they're not, they're not going to survive. Well, I think you look at what they're doing with Cadillac to be essentially their Tesla ish division to start with. I mean, the the business model makes sense. Yeah. But the branding and who it identifies with, I think is, I mean, it's generally an older generation who identifies yeah, with Cadillac. Matt, Matt nailed this. Unless Cadillac builds a car that kids want to have posters of on their wall, they're doomed. Let's yeah. make an electric Eldorado. Well, <laughs> well honestly. The, the, the electric Hummer is coming, right? That's, yeah, yeah. I, I will say that was. That'll a, be a true land yacht if it's as big as they say it is. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Is, but is, that would sell. This whole discussion is exactly why I did that, that whole jolt thing like four years ago where I pretended Chevy made that electric sports car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why. It's because we had to have a conversation about authenticity and excitement around what these brands are in the minds of people that are yeah. up and coming buyers. And that was the only reason I did that was to prove and show that the narrative of saying, well, we build more electric cars, but no one wants them. It's like, yeah, but if you attached your brand to something that was actually badass you'd probably be able to change people's perceptions about your brand. But the problem is they have a conflict of interest and, mm-hmm. and, and that, that allows players like Rivian to come oh. in and eat oh, their totally. lunch. Totally. Yeah. Rivian is an exciting new thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, totally. It's, it's, it's unfortunate, but there's that, there's that Kodak moment that's going to happen to a lot of these legacy auto brands, which is they didn't transition into what was coming for transportation in a way that made their brands maintain relevancy. Yeah. No, and I, I think they're, they're, they're doing some really cool, it's, it's kind of like what you said earlier about Tesla, like when they first started, they kind of had their niche, the very Silicon Valley focus, and it, they've kind of honed it and made it a little uh, more welcome. I wouldn't say more welcoming, but just easier to kind of align with the brand, understand the products. Yeah. And I think well, their sales have got, certainly reflected that. Totally. And I, I think Rivian's done a really good job of finding that first niche. It's like, oh, do you buy Patagucci? Oh, well, we got a truck for you. You like going skiing? We got every, a truck for you. Every wealthy Subaru owner is going to get a Rivian. Yeah. Mark my words. Oh, well, I, honestly, yeah. I, I think Volvo is doing some cool stuff, but like in a lot of ways, there's a lot of kind of the Volvo old who used to buy Saab owners 
Polsters, where... Polsters are cool. I no, Volvo, are. Volvo will make it. Well, and honestly, because of even describing it, it's like, well, Polestar is to a lot of people, they're like, I think I've it's a terrible it. name, but I get it. But people are like, what's, what is it? I've never heard of it. And then you see the product, you go, that's a good looking car. Yeah. It's like, oh, that thing's electric? Oh, totally, totally. Oh, wow. And then yeah. like dot, 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 OPS, it's Volvo. And they go, oh, yeah. whatever, I don't care. It's cool. Yeah. No, but, but I, I think, you know, like a lot of the brands we've just mentioned that are focused on being pure electric, Polster, Rivian, Tesla, you know, these are the brands that I think are poised for a lot of growth because they're making cool products that kick ass that are exclusively electric. And like, again, name an infinity that's remotely interesting compared to these vehicles. You can't, I can't. No, it's funny. It doesn't exist. I still have so many friends in the automotive sector and, and I will see, you know, like releases about a new car and they'll, they'll be sharing information about it on social media. And I just, you know, I see the release and I read through it. And I'm like, I feel like I'm reading something from 2002. Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, like why, why, who cares? You know, yeah. I, mean, I went to the, I went to the SEMA show for 18 straight years and I finally got to a point where I was like, I'm really tired of seeing the exact same thing over and over and over. Yeah. It's, I, I don't need to see that Nissan GTR painted purple, even though I knew it was blue last year. Who cares? <laughs> well, it, it's kind of funny what we're also talking about too, because with like Rivian, they've just uh, been hiring people to build out. I think they're calling it their adventure network, yep. but it's their own version of supercharger network. Uh, hold up. Or, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's actually it's, it's proprietary charging network essentially. Well, I think they use the CCS. CCS. It's going to be CCS, so but, non Rivians will be able to use it. But okay, yeah. they're 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 I mean, an they're, automaker stepping up and kind of like building out the infrastructure to support. And I I think they're doing it well with kind of their branding and the they're they're pure electric. They're, first. they're pure electric. They're trying to do the ecosystem play. Mm -hmm. And if you have three billion dollars worth of Amazon and Ford money, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, again, at the end of the day, if they don't figure that part out. And again, and I've, you know, I've had conversations with the team at Rivian as well. And at the end of the day, a lot of them know it. I mean, there's a lot of Tesla alums that are there. Is yeah. that if you don't yeah. answer the question about how do I use this thing again and again and again with confidence because the other product I need is fuel, then as beautiful and as great and as technologically cool as a Rivian might be, it just turns into a giant paperweight if you can't trust it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Tesla knew it. Rivian's showing that they're applying the same methodologies. And that's smart, especially to the adventure network being moab or middle of nowhere yeah, exactly that's where you're going to want to take it's, those things and it's giving a niche yeah it's yeah kind of specializing where they're going with yeah and, and i think that will help the conversation as well if you can go off-road your ev truck in in moab or or you know in yosemite or insert national park here then the conversation really changes of okay where can't you use an ev where, where doesn't it well, work right and i i think yeah, I mean, it, for them, a big part of it, and it's same with how Tesla started, same really how all the famous traditional automakers, it's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Rivian's delved, delved into. And that, I guess, to tail it back to my crazy idea earlier, the reason I say, I don't think uh, LG will, like to me, the LG chem thing is more like a hostile takeover. If you were like a business, like a VW or Gmail, like it makes sense just to go straight to the resource if that's been your standout thing. I don't think, I think there's, I, if I was them, I wouldn't sell. Hyundai Kia is the only company that will have the opportunity to buy LG Chem or SK Innovation. I, I don't know about that. I, I could easily see uh, other, I mean, LG has a pretty wide division of all sorts. No, of it's course like, they it's do. It's like Panasonic. And the I'm ones. saying they're a South Korean company and they don't want to sell to anybody who's not South Korean. National interest. I think, I, I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I, I think there's truth to it, but uh, once again- Are you saying like, money talks essentially? I mean, or- Money talks and I, I, I do think like, once again, like 
Power hostile takeover, hostile takeovers, and like gov- government interest have happened plenty of times. Yeah. It's a stretch. I still think it could happen. And like, if GM or VW were serious, they'd really start looking at what they could do there. But well, I agree, it's it's more of a fun to think about than a reality. Well, and they I, they're all going to have to answer this question again. And a lot of them are investing in this space, but I think that they're learning it's just the, hard, the infrastructure. Well, I mean, infrastructure. What's interesting too is I was thinking about the Rivian element too. Is that is they're going to have a massive battery in those vehicles if you get the long totally. ones. Yeah. And and even for the fast charging that those vehicles are going to be capable of. That's exactly. It's going to be. That, I mean, again, that's a relatively low Z coefficient. Yeah. So, well, and I, I think that's what's so crazy about all these companies that keep saying they're going to roll out electric vehicles. And then, I mean, they look cool, but then they're going to have these massive battery packs and they're already having issues making smaller cars with yeah. much smaller battery packs. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the software. The demand too. might be there for these bigger ones, but like to get that manufacturing capability up to ramp up more, I don't know. Yep. Well, again, I think the goal that has to be proven out and part of what we look at all the time with, with stakeholders we talk to is is if you want to prove and show that people want EVs, you, you have to show that they can move them quick. And you can, yeah. if you can show volume moves and it incentivizes them to build more and they can't have the, the argument to say like, well, we build more, but no one wants them. If we can start showing that a lot of these old standing comments are dying off because we have the ability to say, nope, people are getting it and they want more. But then it gets down to what variety do you have? And brands like Rivian and Tesla and others will shine through because yeah, they are, they are authentic in that sense. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you have the Volkswagens and the Hyundai's who have the manufacturing capability as well. So totally, yeah, totally. They're, 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 it really some of the old guard all these different survive. brands already out there, and it's just trying to figure out what brand identifies with someone more. Whether it's the Porsche for the motorsport enthusiast, Tesla for the Silicon Valley guy, or the Toyota Camry for the accountant. Yeah, uh, I I think what's I realize we're also kind of coming up near probably the end for your guys' time here. I, I was just curious before we finally go, if there was really any sort of, uh, if, if there's anything that either of you have kind of thought about that might be an innovative way or something just to do differently to really accelerate the industry or even some sort of government incentive that could help the rollout of EVs. Is there anything that's really ever stood out to you guys? Or are you seeing work well? Well, I mean, the, the, I, I was disappointed to see that we couldn't keep the federal tax credit for the brands that really helped move EVs being Tesla. The early, and, yeah, and, the, and, the early and, movers. Yeah, and GM, frankly, they got, they got screwed there too. Totally, both of them um, did. Yeah, and so I, I will say, I still, I, I come back to just keeping the conversation simple in the sense of what are we seeing from yeah. average people? And I still, am, I, for all the money that's been spent on trying to get awareness up and talk to people about products and everything else, I still think the wrong questions or the, the, the wrong solutions are being put out for questions that aren't being asked. People, exactly. un, they understand what cars are. They don't know they have a fuel choice. Uh, we need to make it very, the, the UC Davis study to me shines a bright light on, you can build as many charging stations as you want, but if consumers don't realize they can take advantage of it and they understand it with trust, they won't be buying the car that uses them. And so I, I think that that is still to me, one of the biggest hurdles out there. Uh, Cause there's some damn good EVs out there that still sit, on a lot for too yeah. long because dealers don't know how to sell them and consumers don't even know how to take advantage of them. Yep. So. I, um, you know, I, I have two points. One of them largely echoes Matt's piece uh, surrounding marketing. And that's that there aren't enough advertising dollars spent on EVs. Like just, you know, I mean, like I, you know, I don't watch TV or listen to the radio that often, but I can't tell you how many times I hear an ad for so-and-so dealership or, you know, the new F thousand. And uh, like, I just don't hear that that often for compelling EVs, which should change. Like just 
advertise cool products more, plain and simple. That will help sales. Um, the, the other point I want to make here, uh, actually come back to me on this chase. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that, uh, totally makes sense where you come from, where just the awareness, uh, I think it's going to be, it's always going to be hard to advertise something that's kind of a meh product. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I, I think, I think we're coming out with more and more great products that don't really require much advertising because people are finding out about them. Mm-hmm. And if you have that great product, it really is kind of, yeah. I guess I was going to say dump fuel in the flames, probably the wrong analogy, but like really accelerates mm-hmm. yeah. what people are hearing about, what people are talking about. Well, uh, but I, I, and part of the reason I realize it's kind of an open and broad question, but part of the reason I ask is I hear it a lot of times people ask like, well, what can government be doing or what can manufacturers be doing uh, that's different? And I really think it's not that crazy of an answer. It doesn't really require, I, I think it's exactly what you just said, Matt, where it's really having just the right things in front of the right people and having that education. There's, and if, if we can get to a 150 kilowatt fast charging more quickly and beyond, not farther beyond, it's going to make it a lot easier for everyone. Well, I think the hard part too for uh, automakers, the OEMs, is people always ask me, why do I see ads from GM or even Nissan or whomever about their EVs? And at the end of the day, they they have relied on the fact that consumers, the early adopters have been self-educating. And for for them to invest any amount of money into marketing a product that they are not themselves capable of training their dealers to sell, they're not going to spend a penny on it. So that's, again, that's, that, that's just business is if they're like niche product yet, we made it, we were mandated, Zev, God, whatever, we'll find, we'll put it in the market. And the dealers are like, yep, yeah, the, the people that show up here, they know, they talk circles around us about these things. We, we don't know what to do. The automotive, the, the automakers have just defaulted to that. But the problem they're now having is that EVs are becoming a mainstream conversation because of brands like Tesla, Rivian and others. And so the expectation is that they can talk about it, but they still don't have a product that really competes. Most of them don't. Um, but then still they're just looking at it going, how do we talk about our brand differently? It's a car, it's a Porsche, it's a, it's a Chevy. How do we talk about ourselves differently? And that's because they don't sell fuel. They need somebody else to take that mantle. You know, Matt, you've, you've created an entire business around simplifying a concept to make it easier to do something. You know, the other thing that I was thinking of that would really help EV sales a lot is, um, if you could make the federal tax credit a point of sale tax oh, yeah. credit. I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, you have to have people with large tax liabilities who are smart, are good at math, and understand the nuances of tax code to really fully take advantage of that. People like us have done it in many cases multiple times. Yeah. Government's gonna give you free money, I'll take it. Yeah. But for a lot right. of people who, you know, um, the, the difference of $7,500 at the point of sale for the car is the difference between them being able to afford it or not, even if they get it back when they file their taxes in January. If you could make that, that credit, and that's incredibly complicated to do. I'm not a tax professional. I don't propose to have a solution to this by any stretch. But if you could make the, the, the federal tax credit a point of sale tax credit, I guarantee that would bump EV sales 10 to 20% immediately. I think you're, how you position that is 100% right because GM that does not have it anymore, they've been giving $8,500 yeah. off Bolt at basically every dealership yeah. and their volume of sales immediately 
peaked. People have said that the Kona or the Nero is a better EV than the Bolt, and the Bolt is outselling it like crazy for exactly that reason. Sure. Yeah. No, there's truth to the, the money talks element of like, yeah, but then it's the educational factor, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, the Nero charges faster than the Bolt. The, the Kona charges faster than the Bolt. But they're like, hey, I'll just take it because it's almost 10 grand off. Yeah, exactly. Like, sure, I'll figure out the charging later. I mean, money, then money talks. I mean, well, you right. know, Co Co the Kona might be their second EV after they get rid of the Bolt in however many years, but. Uh, you know, GM does get a slice of the pie earlier. Oh, and that's, and again, to the, to the credit of that, it's moving more vehicles to the market. Used vehicles then get trickled down into used market. Yep. Then people that may not have bought a $40,000 EV can buy a $20,000 one. Yep. Well, and I think that's kind of the issue I have with it is like for, I think EVs to really take off. Obviously the money for brand new cars is great. It just doesn't translate well to where most cars are sold. And that's the used car market. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, and trying to, and I think that's one of the things that, California did with uh, allowing EVs to be on the HOV lanes. Uh, obviously, there's stipulations with that, but that means it's valid for all EVs. It's not you need a brand new one. And I, yeah. I think the more we can kind of, if government's going to play more and more of a role in it, I think kind of needs to be more of those easier to implement carrot ideas versus yeah, yeah, the regulations because it's just going to keep it being more politicized and take longer to really get all the stuff to the right people. Bolt residuals have been super strong. I mean, like you, you're hard pressed to get a used bolt that's really a better deal than a new one in some yeah. cases. So I, I do agree that just right. the more long range compelling EVs we have on the marketplace, the more they're going to be available to more people. But, you know, their Volkswagen and Hyundai are just now ramping up. But beyond that, it's just GM and Tesla. And those cars are still pretty expensive, even on the used market. Oh, definitely. People want them. Exactly. Yep. And that to itself could be its own conversation. But I, I think at that point, uh, people are still listening to this. We're going to wrap it up. So I just want to say thanks to uh, Matt and Wade for your time today and having these really interesting discussions. Thanks for hosting, Chase. Yeah, thanks for having us. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit our website, connectingthegrid.com. There you can listen to our podcasts, contact us about sponsorship, or even be a guest on Grid Connections. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your favorite podcast streaming service. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks again, and I look forward to us learning more together soon.